Welcome to the High Road to Leadership. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and this is a journey to success and significance. And this is one of those special days where I've got an awesome guest that I get to introduce to you. I've got Deb Williams in the studio with me today. Welcome, Deb. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I got to tell you about her. She's a friend. And so this is going to be a fun and relaxed conversation. But Deb has an impressive resume. Let me just tell you the highlights. She's worked as an emergency medicine physician for 20 years. Deb became the director of the emergency department in a high volume hospital. And now she has made a shift to healing the healers. She is excited about combining her scientific background with the neuroscience of rewiring the brain to assist individuals and organizations to make transformational, long-lasting change. She does speaking, training, coaching, and she has a special focus on the needs of healthcare professionals. Dr. Deb leads a community of professionals where it is safe to discuss your challenges, find your voice, listen to your heart, and express your truth. She's all about helping the people and the healthcare profession reset, realign, and redesign. And I love that about you, Deb. Thanks again for being here. And we're going to kick off. You know, when you say the word neuroscience, it excites me because I'm all about increasing emotional intelligence, and I know how that's important. But can you break it down and just tell us what is neuroscience and why should the average person and certainly leader, why should they care? I think, Beverly, that just the basic definition, and this isn't a Webster book definition, um, this is my own definition, but neuroscience really covers how the brain works, what parts of the brain are involved in emotions or in decision-making or trauma. Um, so it, it, it puts that whole brain function together and gives us as coaches or trainers, it lets us help our clients understand sometimes why they have the behaviors that they do and how they can use their brain to their advantage to change those behaviors if they need to be changed. Um, and for the longest time, there was the thought that by the time you're 25, you're, you're done. Whatever's in your brain, whatever your IQ is, et cetera, et cetera, is just set. It can't be changed. You can't do anything different with it. And with the massive amounts of neuroscience studies and research that have gone on over the last decades, um, they've certainly realized that neuroplasticity is possible for your entire life. So there is absolutely no excuse to say, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't learn that. I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm not good at this. This is who I am. And it's fixed. It is not fixed. Um, many, many years ago, Heaven came up with the statement of neurons that fire together, wire together. And that fits into neuroplasticity and laying down new pathways that let you make lasting changes. I love that. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And that is what neuroplasticity, that would be a kind of a good definition for neuroplasticity. And that, that statement was made decades ago 
by heaven who was looking into this decades ago. And it has held true up to today, even though lots of the other neuroscience studies are being totally upended (laughs) with the new findings um, and the research that they're able to do today. I think this is fascinating because I so many people that I work with uh, feel like they have been thrust into leadership positions, perhaps positionally, but they say, you know, I am not really a leader. But what I hear you saying is that leadership can be learned and it is by rewiring the brain that you can always go to new heights learn new things, even with age, yes? Yes, that is absolutely true. Now, you and I both know, Beverly, with the variety of people and organizations that we've worked with, there does appear to be just some natural gifts that people have because it seems to be easier for them and they seem to be stronger leaders naturally. But the person who moves from you know, the regular worker into a managerial position or a managerial position to the next step on the ladder, they certainly have the ability to learn the essential skills that are necessary for that new position. I'm, I'm jumping ahead and you'll have to forgive me for that because I'm always, you know, you, you, sti- you say something and it stimulates the next thought. I know that when I first started studying neuroscience years ago, Uh, from my seat, I, you know, you were hearing so much about left brain, right brain, you because you just mentioned personality types, and the different giftings and, and all of that. And, and we're talking about how people can change. But I've heard that this whole concept of left brain, right brain has a new, has some new research behind it. And I'd, I'd really like to hear from you about that. I think you mentioned default mode. Um, and talk to us about that because it's very encouraging along the lines of we all have potential that is yet to be developed. So let's hear about the, this new science with the brain. Right. Well, I will say one of the leading researchers in the left brain, right brain You know, one is supposed to be um, creative and and the artist, et cetera. The other is the scientist and the engineers and um, the attorneys who who are more, um, you know, task-oriented, et cetera. Ian McGilchrist has done a great deal of work and has delineated the fact that there is a lot of crossover between the right hemisphere and, and the left. And what happens is messages that are visual or audible or whatever, Beverly, are sent to the left side of the brain. And that's where the assignment is made so that you interpret what comes from those visuals or those audios or those creative type of things. They they get defined by the left hemisphere. And that's really simplifying what goes on, but the basis of it is people used to say, oh, I'm so left-brained. I I don't have a creative bone in my body. And that's wrong. Um, you, You have the ability to uncover and develop that creative process with intention. And that's where everything that we're gonna talk about today is you can't lay down new pathways 
so that you change without intention and commitment. It absolutely uh-huh, takes uh-huh. that. It doesn't just drop in your lap and all of a sudden, boom, there's a new neural pathway in my brain. It absolutely takes intention and commitment, but it is 100% possible. Wow. So when it when you talk about intention and commitment, do you talk are you talking about like you might choose a certain characteristic or habit that you want to develop and then you start intentionally working on developing a neural pathway to go with that? Is that how that works? Yes. For instance, I think most people are familiar with the 360 feedback for leaders. Tell us about that. It's an assessment that really talks about leadership skills and personality traits. And it it even incorporates some of the emotional intelligence, um, Beverly, although it's probably not termed that. Um, But a lot of it is how well they lead, what is their style, um, and communication, building relationships, leading from the heart. Many, there's all kinds of questionnaires. And so once a leader has, and, and, you know, there's DISC, there's all kinds of assessments out there. 360 is just one that's very common. Um, so once a leader receives that feedback, then they know where their weaknesses are and what needs to change. So they either take it to heart and make a commitment to work on those weaknesses and change them, for the betterment of themselves and their team and organization. And so with that commitment and intention, then they become aware, they notice what's happening, and they learn to control it. And that's the process that lays down the new neuropathway. And it takes time. But every time, let's say... A simple example, I always interrupt people in meetings. So if they make a commitment to stop doing that, every time they get ready to interrupt and they stop themselves, then the dendrites and the neurons and the chemicals all start laying down repetitively. So as they move along, it becomes much easier for them to have second nature of not wanting to blurt out and interrupt people. And that's a simple example of a leadership skill. I love that example. That's so practical and so real. <laughs> like there's a perfect, is- here's a perfect example. Someone I coached had that problem. Do you know four years later, his, his cue for himself, he wrote an index card that said, stop before you speak. And he still carries that index card with him because that's his cue. Even though he's done it enough now that he really probably doesn't need the card. But at first, that's how that was his commitment to, to learning to, to be intentional and stop interrupting. Okay, I have a question. That, you know, as a leader, I've often uh, heard it said that we should go with our strengths and delegate our weaknesses. And that, 
that serves well to an extent with a team, but what you're saying is much more practical in that when we have weaknesses like the one you used as an example that we know are are causing us to not progress versus something like uh, uh, if I would compare this I know I'm not a good accountant I'm not a- accounting is not my zone I'm much better in front of people or you know doing the creative things doing visionary things but doing the minute detailed tasks are not good but that's not really what you're saying I would have to if I when I do a 360 ass- assessment I know I'm weak in those things but I don't necessarily have to develop in strengths in all things I need to identify those that those weaknesses that are tripping me up and work on those and then delegate the ones that I don't want to fix. Is that a, <laughs> is that an ad- adequate explan- explanation? That's very fair. But, you know, for the longest time, managers and leaders were taught, well, you sit people down and you give them their yearly review, which has now changed to be much monthly reviews or whatever. But anyway, you tell them what their weaknesses are and that that's what they need to work on. And that train of thought has really changed that, no, people flourish when they're using their strengths. And then you surround yourself with people who have different strengths than you do. And hopefully that fits into accounting or for me, technology. You surround your people. What I'm talking about for 360, Beverly, is really essential skills. You know, what are the essential skills that you need? You need to be able to communicate clearly. You need to have a vision. You need to be able to engage your team and and help them understand why and what their part of the whole picture is. Those are the kind of skills that I'm talking about being able to intentionally change for the better with new pathways. That is, that's encouraging <laughs> because uh, I don't want to, I don't want to ever have to be an accountant and, and my accountant would be horrified if he knew that I was taking over doing my own books. Um, okay, let's, let me ask you a little bit again about this. I heard you say something when we were talking the other day about default modes and some kind of networking task mode. I I took a couple notes, but I wasn't real clear and I wanted to I didn't want to dig into it then because I want to dig into it now. How does what were you saying and how does that apply to what I need to know as a leader? Well, we have two networks. There, there's a bunch of networks, but there's these two have been identified as as fairly different but major and contributing to how we operate. The first one is default mode network. And the second one is task positive network. And another way of looking at that, Beverly, is the default mode network is who am I being? And the task positive network is what am I doing? So default is being, task positive is doing. And I think that we all know primarily as leaders, we live in the task positive network. Prefrontal cortex, um, that's where we 
focus on a task, we pay attention, we are goal-oriented, we make decisions. And this is our short-term working memory. The default mode network is more about the being. This is what a lot of people call soft skills, the emotional intelligence, the empathy, the compassion. Um, This is where the envisioning the future, this is the visionary part of it, is in the default mode. The, The key to this is they have a tendency, if you're tipped significantly one direction or the other, they can cancel each other out. So part of the ball game is realizing if you are 80% task positive, then you've shut down and you're missing what's in the default mode, which is your creativity, your envisioning the future, your compassion, more of your emotional intelligence. So you really have to work to say, well, what's missing here? If you're 80% in the task positive. The flip side of that is if you're 80% in default, nothing's getting done, perhaps. Well, why aren't we meeting those goals, et cetera, et cetera. So those two pathways are always present. And again, it takes awareness and noticing them to be able to use them correctly. I'm sorry, is the goal like 50-50 balance? Is that, because what I'm hearing from you is that to me, the default mode would be what I call heart-based leadership. That's where you're plugged into the emotional intelligence. But like you said, you've got to balance that with uh, systems and processes and productivity. That has to be there too. So can you give a statistic? Is it like a 50-50 balance when you're in your work mode or is that, to, to that would be great, on. but I think it tips different directions depending on what you're doing. So if you've called your team together for brainstorming or a weekend retreat or whatever, you're probably going to want to be in default mode more than 50% because that's where you're creating. You're envisioning the future. You're dreaming Nothing has to, there isn't a goal you're trying to reach right at this moment. Now, if you've called your team together because you have a deadline tomorrow at 4 p.m. and you're only about 70% finished, you aren't going to care what the future looks like. You are going to be in task positive mode, goal-oriented, directive, meeting that goal. So it's going to vary, but just on a general day, that leader has to have components of both and not tip too far one direction or they're going to miss the other part of it. That is very, um, that's insightful. That's very insightful because I was actually picturing your background. I was picturing, you know, when you're triaging in a, uh, in a, an emergency room setting, you're going to be very task positive, but you have had to use your default mode, your who am I being in developing relationships to build that team so that they're working as a as a unified team. Is that a good is that a good uh vision? Okay. 
That that's very helpful. And and now that I bring up the emergency room, I just have to say I know that you are very passionate about uh, bringing transformation to the healthcare industry specifically. So I'd like to just talk about that for a minute because it's something, certainly healthcare is something that we're all concerned with. Healthcare is something that is very personal and in fact, uh, affects all of us. So can you just share with us? I know we've, this, the conversation to this point has really been a- accessible information for every person in every industry and leadership. And really, uh, your whole um, process of reset, realign, and redesign is also something that can probably be applied directly to every industry. But give us a little bit of vision about what you see as the future for healthcare going forward. We know that we're not in a great place right now, but what do you, what's your vision? Boy, put me on the hot spot. You know, Beverly, I think that the pandemic probably opened so many eyes um, outside of the practitioners. Yeah, so the C-suites, the, the corporate offices, um, so many entities that really didn't, don't understand the practice of clinical medicine and, and the impact that it has, that that taking care, it's funny because I remember sitting in the C-suite 15 years ago and making the comment um, when we were talking about metrics and all the things that are important that you get paid and patient satisfaction and all this stuff. And I just sat there and to me, it's a very simple statement of if you take care of the people who take care of your patients the rest of it falls into place if you have healthy happy engaged employees then they're they're going to treat people right they're going to have a good experience they're going to have good outcomes and not 100% of the time, because we know nothing is 100% in medicine. But but just the, the general idea. So I think it is very, very important for physicians to have a seat at the table and be listened to, rather than there just being strictly business decisions made behind closed doors in the C-suite. And don't get me wrong, I'm a business person. I completely understand profit margins and the need to make a profit or we wouldn't have the hospitals, we wouldn't have the things we need to offer the ever-increasing technology and knowledge and the things that we need to take the best care of patients possible. But my vision is that there's just got to be a collaborative effort between the two sides of the fence so that physicians can be allowed to use their years and years of training, their bedside knowledge, and take the best care of patients that they were trained to do. 
And you were mentioning the C-suite, and it's also so much of healthcare has been a political, uh, it's been a result of political. You know, and I don't mean to be jabbing at the C-suite because that's only one component of it. It's very political. The insurance companies play a big part in it. The pharmaceutical companies play a big part in it, all of whom have huge amounts of money that that is donated um, to the to the political arena. So it's not just the C-suite. Um, they're, they're one slice of the pie that sits at the table. Um, and I, I can't let anybody off the hook. Every Every single sector needs to have some transformation. And that transformation comes through developing ourselves as better people with a bigger vision and a um, collaborative effort. Is that is that kind of a, a collaborative effort to come together for a higher good, for the good of all people, and leave the personal agendas uh on the back seat. Is that a, a good description? That's a good summary of it for sure. And it also, Beverly, fits into, and I'll just mention this quickly because this could be another whole episode, but when we start looking at fixed mindset versus growth mindset, and, you know, are we are we stuck in the past? We've always done it this way. We can't change it. We can't try it, whatever. Or are we, are we good leaders? Do we have a growth mindset that fits in with neuroplasticity. We can go anywhere we want. We can learn anything we want. We can change anything we want. Now, will we always make the best decisions and will it all always work? Of course not. But if we don't have a growth mindset to move forward and try to break the status quo, then we'll never see the improvements that we're looking for. And leaders are dealers in hope. And that is what we get to be. I tell you what, I could talk to you all day about neuroscience and the future and possibilities. And I I want to wrap this one up just because of time. And I really am looking forward to learning more, though. I, before we go, I do want to tell our listeners that they can learn more at drdebleads.com, or they can find you on LinkedIn as Deborah Williams. Dr. Deborah Williams is uh, on LinkedIn and active and ready to be helpful to you and your team in whatever way that she can serve. And Deb, I want to thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your knowledge, sharing your hope, sharing your wisdom and your brains. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for the opportunity and the time went by so fast. (laughs) It did. It did. It always does. Well, you have a great day and the best is yet to come. Yes. Thank you.